How's it going? Good morning. Good morning. Wow. I tell you, worship was uh, was powerful in first service, and um, it's. Uh, I hope it translates into our student center and into our online church at home. But God, God's presence is so thick in this place. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm excited. We've got. I wanted to take a moment and just welcome. We got some people over in our student center. We got the. Uh, um, the Dows are over there, uh, Claudia, Sarah, Ben, the Thibodeaux, the McKays, Rita, welcome you guys over there, and we got a bunch of people online. Um, Emily Griffin, good to see you, Connie, uh, Lance and Natalie Gibbs, Terry Desitel, um, Jean Doyon, thank you so much for joining. It's kind of a weird thing that we're here and yet uh, everywhere, um, people's living rooms and in other, other places at the same time right now. Um, so we're in the kind of the middle of a series right now, and we've been going through the book of 1 Peter. The Lord put this on my heart to go through this, this letter together, and to be honest with you, when, when he first put this on my heart, I was like, I haven't really read 1 Peter recently. It's kind of a small little book in, you know, in the end of our Bibles, and I'm like, okay, and then I started reading it. It was this realization that like, this is a now word for our church, for our people, and for uh, a, a time such as this, like Zach was talking about for 2020, it's been quite a year. Um, so before we get started, let me just pray. Lord, I, I pray that as we get into your word today, that we would choose to surrender our wills to your word. Uh, your word is powerful. I pray that it would make us and break us and shake us and define us. Lord, I pray that it would mine the gold out of people listening to it. Lord, even if it hurts, and sometimes it does. I pray that we would determine today to allow your word to change us from the inside out. And so we don't just read uh, the word of God as a, like a poem or some nice things to say, but it is the very word of Jesus, the word of God that, uh, that changes our lives. And so we expect that today. God, we expect that the word of God will change us today, that we're not going to leave this place the same. So Lord, we thank you for that and the opportunity we get to do it. As, as, a, as a congregation, as a people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Could you stand with me as we uh, honor the reading of God's word? I want you to turn with me to sec, or 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, if you've got your Bible, and you're like, man, I don't even know how to find this, or you can skip right over it, just go to the last book, the book of Revelation, and then go back about 10 pages, and you'll probably be at 1 Peter. And um, Let's, let's, let's read it together. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 4. That's where Pastor Tom left off last week. And then we're going to continue through verse 12. So verse 4, uh, he says this, as, as you come to him, meaning Jesus, as you come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture, this is what it says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to those who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they are destined for. But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, God's special possession. 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, there it is again, resident aliens, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would allow it to do its work in us. That as we toil up that fallow ground, that that good seed of your word would land, find root, and grow, and grow us deeper in you. We don't want to stay the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. All right. So we're going to work down through this scripture. Um, it's kind of what we do when we go through a book of the Bible. We'll just kind of take it verse by verse down through. So we're going to start at verse 4 and 5. And let me read it for you again. He says this. As, as you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. So Peter starts out, starts out with this whole weird thing, honestly, it's kind of weird, calling Jesus uh, the living stone. And then he follows it up by saying, like, you all are like living stones. Now, it's kind of, if you, if you just take it at face value, the, the words living stone are kind of an oxymoron. It doesn't really make sense. I mean, a stone is literally like the, 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 the quintessential opposite of that anything that is living. You look at a stone, you just think that's dead. There's no life in it. There's no life that comes out of it. You probably shouldn't eat it. In fact, it would be very bad for your digestive system if you did. Back in the 80s, maybe late 70s, if you were around back then, you might remember something that came out called the pet rock. You guys remember that? Anybody in the eight? Did anybody, can, can, let's just, moment of truth. Anyone buy one? Did you bought one? That's awesome. I had, I had one guy in the back raise his hand. He was like, yep, I did. Apparently they sold like a quarter of a million of these things. Literally a, a rock in a box that was your pet. And, uh, and uh, an animate object as a pet just seems like an oxymoron. Like, or, or quite honestly, the best pet ever, right? You don't have to feed it. You don't have to do anything to it. You're like, yeah, this is my pet. Um, that's what I would have loved for years until my family got a dog. But anyway, um, there's, this, there's this whole thing. Like, we even associate the word stone with like uh, stone dead, stone cold. We say you can't squeeze blood from a stone. And if you think of it like Jesus, uh, when he was being tempted in, in the wilderness by Satan, Satan looked at stones, and what did he say? He said, turn these stones into bread. In other words, he's like, hey, Jesus, take this thing that is useless and make it useful like work a miracle here the you like a stone is the direct opposite of something that is is useful to to be able to eat and so peter um calls us living stones calls jesus the living stone essentially what i think he's kind of reminding us of is this that there's nothing inherently in us that redeemed us let me say this, like, there's nothing, you, you, there's nothing in you that makes you good enough, smart enough, popular enough, good-looking enough, that redeemed you. 
that you were worthy of forgiveness, that you were worthy of the grace and the mercy that God has shown you. In other words, he's like, you're a living stone. You, you, you're a stone. There's nothing in and of you that's like, man, yes, you had potential to become living. No, you look at a stone, there's no potential in a stone of living. In other words, you're never going to be good enough, and your good enough is never good enough to make up for your sins, which is why it's all God which is why it's all his grace, which is why it's all his work, and essentially, you are a living stone. Paul says something like this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. He says, when you were dead, stone dead, in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. It was all his doing. It says, he forgave us all our sins. And it wasn't because you were good enough, smart enough, doggone enough, people liked you. It wasn't because, yeah, you, were, you, were, you had a potential as a stone. No, you are a living stone, only living through the grace and the glory of Christ's sacrifice in your life. Like you, you were stone dead in your sins, but God. But God showed up, and, and, he, and he made you alive. It's a miracle. And those of you who, who know, you, you know it's a miracle that God, you know, you were, you were stone dead, couldn't be good enough or, or make up for the sins of your past, and yet God, yet God showed up and, and forgave you. And I want you to notice that, that, that Peter writes that, that Jesus Christ was rejected by humans, catch this, but chosen by God. Jesus Christ, the, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God. Anyone ever been rejected by humans? Anyone? Maybe? Every once, once in your life? Maybe somebody ghosted you or told you they didn't want to be friends with you anymore, left you, promised you, and then didn't. Like anyone, you, you kind of struggle with rejection at times in your, in your past or maybe even, even right now. Listen, rejection is much easier to cope with when you realize that the greatest person who ever lived was also rejected. So, in other words, you're in good company. In other words, I, I think that there's actually some people in here, maybe it's me, that need to hear this because your, your rejection by others is trying to convince you of lies. Essentially, that's, that's what the rejection of men does. It tries to convince you that you are rejected. That is who you are and that is your identity. But in your notes, it says this, when you are grounded in, the, in your acceptance from God, then the rejection of man loses its hold on you. I'm going to say that again because I think I'm preaching better than you're listening. I'm sure some of you at home are waving a hanky, but here's the thing. When you are grounded in your acceptance from God, then the rejection of man loses its hold on you. When you come to this place where you just know that you know that you know of who you are in Christ, then all of a sudden the, the rejection of people doesn't have as much determination over your identity. Because as, as long as your identities are dictated by the acceptance of humans, then you will struggle to find rest in your acceptance with God. That's just a reality. And so what do we do? We find ourselves kind of spinning our wheels, trying to find out who we are and gain acceptance by man. And we, we, we never find that rest of our acceptance in God. He continues in verse 6, and, he, and this, is, this is what Peter says. He says, in, for in Scripture it says this. He says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put 
to shame. Not only is Jesus the living stone, but then all of a sudden now in verse 6, I love it, the Bible starts talking about like, no, not only is Jesus the living stone, he is the, the cornerstone. Now, I'm not a builder, and I know some of you guys are in here are builders, but from what I've looked up on YouTube enough is this. If you're building from, you know, if you're a mason and you're building a building, the very first stone that is set is called the cornerstone. It is the, it's the most significant stone that you set. You have to make sure that that stone is level, that it can withstand the weight of the building that's going to be built on it, because if not, then the building will begin to start to lean and even eventually crumble and fall. The cornerstone is the most important thing, that the, the, the important stone that you would build a house on. And Peter is reminding each and every single one of them. He's like, he's like Jesus is the only sure, chosen, perfect, precious cornerstone that you should build your life upon. He's it. That's it. He's like, he, Jesus is your cornerstone. If you think, if you could think of it this way, the, the cornerstone is, is the thing that you put your hope in most. The thing that you put your hope in the most. And so when we wonder why things in our lives are kind of like falling apart around us and are anxiety-ridden and, and the wheels seem to be coming off, and then, then we start to wonder, could it be that maybe Jesus is not the cornerstone of, the, of what you're putting your hope in? He says, build everything off of that. Because if your cornerstone, the cornerstone of your life, is like your spouse, they will disappoint you. I don't even know your spouse, but I just, I'm telling you, they will disappoint you. They will let you down. If the cornerstone of your life, everything that you are building on and putting your trust, faith, and hope in is your children, they'll let you down <laughs> pretty quick, right? If what you're putting your faith, your hope, and your trust, what you're building your life upon, what is your cornerstone is your job, well, those come and go. Your material things, then those things, well, they break down and we lose them. Essentially, all of those things begin to crumble. Why? Because they're not Jesus. Because <laughs> they're not Jesus. He's literally, Peter's like, look, all these things that we're putting our faith, we're hope, we're, that we're building our life upon, it's all junk unless there is the cornerstone of Jesus that we, build, that we are building our life upon. He says, if you put your hope in Jesus, if Jesus is the cornerstone of your life, I love it, he says, you will never be put to shame. Those are big words. He says, if you put your hope in God, you, you, you'll never be put to shame. And he continues in verse 8, excuse me, verse 7. Now to you who believe, this stone, this cornerstone, this living stone, Jesus, is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. I, 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 I love this portion of scripture because I'm like, isn't it true I just, I just think it speaks to how Jesus is handled in our current day today. Isn't it true that, that Jesus either tends to be um, the person that we put our hope in, that we build our life upon, or he's someone that keeps 
tripping us up. He's the one that we just keep tripping over, right? Because the reality is, is that Jesus has to be dealt with. Either he is the most significant, greatest person ever to be born in history. Either he is the son of God who came, crucified, died, buried, rose again. Either that is true or, or, or it's not. But he's got to be dealt with one way, one way or the other. And either you choose to put your faith and your hope and your trust and build your life upon him and he changes you, or you find yourself tripping up over him, trying to get around him. This is what the Bible says, that you find yourself stumbling over him. And if you're here, like maybe you're, maybe you're online, you're in one of our other venues, like, and you're not a believer of Jesus, then you may see other people put their faith and their hope in Jesus, and yet you find that you just keep getting tripped up by Jesus. Because he just keeps showing up. Just keeps, he just keeps coming into your, and you kind of walk around him, and you kind of try to step over him, and you try, and you just end up stumbling over him time and time and time again. Because, and, and I'm not even just talking to unbelievers, I'm, I'm talking to believers here. Listen, when the word of God comes to us as believers, we have a choice. Our choice is, am I going to walk in obedience to that word, or am I going to trip over it? I, Maybe, maybe you can't relate. I can. I'll be honest. There are times, seasons of my life where the Word of God has come to me. And I'm not even just talking about the written Word of God. I'm talking about like the rhema Word of God, where, where God brings something alive to me that I'm supposed to do, supposed to say, supposed to change, whatever that looks like. I have to make that decision. Am I going to follow that and walk in obedience to that and walk in it, even though I think it's a really dumb idea and I think Jesus really has, you know, should be listening to me because if he was listening to me, we would do something different. Am I going to walk in that or am I going to trip over it? Am I going to stumble over it? And for some of us, we're like wondering, why am I not growing? Why am I not getting further along? Why am I getting so hung up? Why am I not building anything? Because we keep trying to walk around, stumble upon, and trip over the very thing that God is wanting to use to, to, to grow us time and, and, and time again. He continues in verse 8. Essentially, he tells us this. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. The truth is that the truth is that our identities can be cut short by our disobedience to God's word. <laughs> I didn't expect to get too many hanky waves on that. But here's the truth. Our, our destinies can be cut short by our disobedience to God's word. I know that's not sexy, okay? I know we don't like that. But it's, this, this, is the, this is the rub that we come into when we're in a stuck place in our life and our walk with God and we just wonder, why am I not moving? Why am I not growing? Why is God not doing this? Why is this not happening? Many times the reason why our destiny is cut short is because of our disobedience to the word of God. God will reveal something. God will speak something to us. And we're like, yeah, I'd rather not do that. And he says, okay. You don't have to do that, but I'm just letting you know that it will continually be a stumbling block to you. It will continually trip you up until you walk in obedience to it. And that is the difficulty of what we walk in even as Christians. And so we stumble and we get tripped up and, and things crumble and we don't know why. We, don't, we wonder why, why we're not growing, why we're not building, why we're not further along. But it's when, when the word of God is something that we avoid rather than obey 
then we're not building anything. And I know that's harsh. If the Word of God is something that we avoid rather than obey, we're not building anything. In fact, we're actually just walking around, tripping over things that God is actually wanting to use to build something. These building pieces are all over the place, and I don't know why. They're keep trying to walk over and walk around them, step over them. I keep tripping over them. And God's saying, I'm actually wanting, if you would walk in obedience to these things, we could actually start building something that is worth building. Build a life that is worth building. So what are you destined for? You're like, okay, well, my destiny's getting cut short. Kind of sounds, woo, okay, what does that mean? What are you destined for? What, 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 what is your identity? This is what I love about Peter. Peter just like lays it out. He tells you who you are. He literally tells you who you are in Christ. And it's, it's kind of crazy. Verse 9, he says, but you, you are a chosen people. Hmm? Chosen? I feel rejected most of the time. I didn't ask you what you felt like. I'm telling you who you are. He says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. Me? Yep. You are a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Peter's like, this is your identity. This is, this is who you are in Christ. And we could read him and like, hey, he's not talking about me. I don't know who he's talking about, but I don't feel like any of those things, Right? So I was looking up, um, I found this, this uh, definition of the, of the term identity. I know there's a whole lot of definitions. You probably have some great ones too, and you can email me later. But th- this, is, um, this is one that I found. I really like it. It, it, it. This is how it goes. Identity is what the most important person or people in your life think about you. Let me say it again in case you want to write it down. Identity is what the most important person or people in your life think about you. So the real question is, who is the most important person or people in your life? Who is the, that most important person or group of people that what they think about you determines your identity? Because if, it, if it's anything other than, than God, then, then what, what happens? Well, we end up spinning our wheels, trying to prove to ourselves or we try to prove to other people that we have worth. I, I just... I just if you could just tell me who I am, essentially asking everyone or asking ourselves, looking in interior, staring at our navel, wondering, who am I? Could you just please tell me who I am? I'm trying to find worth. I'm trying to find value. I'm trying to find identity, essentially asking everyone else, who am I? And so what ends up happening, we see this probably greater now than ever with social media, one of the only forms of communication that we have, is that we compare ourselves to the filtered, cropped, um, you know, highlight reel of those of people on Instagram or Facebook to our life. Sitting there eating a whole bag of Doritos. We didn't plan on it, but we're not quitters, right? We're not, I'm an American, I'm not a quitter, right? I ate the whole bag, right? It, was, it wasn't planned, but it was, it's how, and we're looking and scrolling through Facebook saying, how come nobody else does this? And so what do we, because those are the most important people in our life, then, then we start looking and saying, well, I've deduced something about myself, my identity. 
And it's not really who I am, it's who I'm not. I'm not thin enough. I'm not mom enough. I'm not dad enough. I'm not in love enough. I'm not man enough. I'm not, I'm not woman enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not, I'm not popular enough. I'm not accepted enough. And so we're left with just a big question, spinning our wheels, trying to find someone to tell us who we are. And this is what I love about Peter. This is what I love about this letter. Like, he's just like, you want to know who you are? You want to know who you are in Christ? What is true of Jesus is made true of you when you are in Christ. It's powerful. You're like, but I don't feel like any of these things. Well, I didn't ask you if you felt like it. He's just telling you who you are. Look at who he says you are. The first thing, he says you are a chosen people. God has chosen you to be in his family, which means you're not rejected. You may be rejected by man, but you're accepted by God. You're chosen by God. Chosen to be adopted, to be accepted into his family. That's, that's huge. John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says these words. He says, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So in other words, in Christ, you're chosen. You're chosen people. And you didn't, you didn't have to work hard enough to be able to earn God's acceptance like when you received Jesus, then, 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 then Jesus' acceptance by the Father became your acceptance by the Father. Why? Because you're in Christ. You're a living stone. It's only through the grace and, of, of Jesus that you're even alive. The second thing he says, you're, you're a royal priesthood. You may not feel like any of those. You're like, I don't feel royal. I don't, I don't have like two nickels to rub together. And I certainly don't act like a priest, right? So here he says, the Old Testament, the, um, there was a, spe- a specially chosen tribe of royalty, and it was called the tribe of Judah. They were the chosen within the chosen. There's God's chosen people, and then there's the tribe of Judah, which was the chosen among the chosen to be the, the tribe of royalty. And then there was a specially chosen tribe of priests. It was called the, the, the tribe of Levi. And so what Peter is saying is that in Jesus, in Christ, you're actually both of these. Royalty and a priest. You are the chosen of the chosen of the chosen. So you're not just the chosen people, you're the chosen of the chosen of the chosen of the chosen. So if you feel like, I don't know, I don't really feel chosen, he's like, oh no, you're more chosen than you think you're chosen. I feel rejected. I I beg to differ, because apparently if you're in Christ and he is the most important person in your life, then he determines who you are and what he thinks of you. And this, this is what he thinks of you. So he tells you who you are. Huh. Works like that, huh? Yeah. Doesn't seem that easy. He says, you're, you're a royal priesthood. Because in Christ, everyone, everyone has the privilege of coming into the presence of God. Do you know that? One thing that I, I just feel passionate about as a, as a pastor is, is breaking that mindset of many Christians that you need me to pray for you. You, you, you need a priest to be your mediator between you and God. Uh, that I have some sort of a special connection to Jesus that you can't access. Can I just tell you, you could be driving down the road, you could be a trucker driving down the road talking to Jesus and worshiping, and you can encounter the very presence of God just the same way as I can. 
You don't even have to come into a church. I mean, that's great to worship together as a, as, as a people of God, but I'm just telling you, you are a royal priest. You have the opportunity to be able to come into the very presence of God. I love this. Hebrews chapter 4, let me prove it to you. Paul writes this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help him, to, excuse me, to help us in our time of need. You're a royal priesthood. Number three, you're, you're a holy nation, he says. So, so being chosen and royal and a priest isn't simply a luxury, it's also a responsibility that comes with it. That word holy can actually be translated as set apart or separate or, or different or weird, right? That's kind of what, what holy, so it's simply, simply what it means is like, you're not simply made holy, you're to live holy. You're not made weird, you're to live weird. You should be living differently than the world around you. In other words, if the world doesn't think you're weird, you may not be living holy. You can chew on that for a while. If you haven't been called weird lately, I'm just telling you, you actually should be backing up and wondering, am I living different? Am I living holy? Am I living different? Am I living weird, odd? Are people questioning why I'm doing the things that I am doing? Why the things that are important to me are that important? And the last thing he says is that you're God's special possession. Man, that is like, if we could just rest in that. Just rest in that. In other words, like if you have come to faith in Jesus, you belong not only belong, he says you are his special possession. Honestly, if we believe that, that becomes a part of who we are, what more do you need to feel like you're enough? <laughs> what more do you need? Like if you're in Christ and he is the most important person in your life, then you are what he thinks of you. Which means that you're not the epitome of your past. That's good news for some of you. <laughs> kind of hoping for that one, you know, like, you don't know all the stuff that I've, that I've done in my past. You're not the epitome of your past. In fact, you are created in the image of God. You are a person who Jesus came to save. You are not common. You are not ordinary. You are different, and you are called to live differently. You are accepted. You are adopted. You belong. And that, and that, that is irrelevant of your race or your nationality or your tribe or your sex or your tongue. You, you belong. You are God's special possession, which means that, you know, you may not feel chosen or royal or holy or special, but this is how God sees you. What I love about even just this letter is like God is calling forth the gold out of you. We have enough people to dig up dirt on us. It's not hard. That's just, that's just like playing, like hitting below the belt. It's not hard to find dirt on us, Right? It's not hard to watch and find, find our inadequacies and all that. God is in the process, and his word is in the process of mining out the gold in us. And then he says, okay, this is who I see you are. This is who you are. Now walk in it. Walk in that identity. Begin to walk this out. I want you to notice that, that all of these identifiers that he lies out, lays out for us, are, these are not just individual things. So, so please don't mistake what I'm talking about as this like self-help, you got this. 
You're good enough, smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. This is not what I'm talking about here. This is not what Peter's trying to do for you. This is not like a self-help. You can walk out with your head held high and your, your chest all puffed up and like strutting like a rooster. Why? Because Jesus, I'm a God's special possession. No, please understand. Please understand. Every single one of these is not individual. They're speaking to all of us. Catch this. He says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God. What does that mean? It means that your identity is dependent upon the unity of God's people. <laughs> oh, kind of thought I was a special one. I don't know what this guy has to do with me. Essentially, you're, you're, you're your identity is dependent upon the unity of God's people, that, that all of these destinies are dependent on the family of God, the living stones being built, what, into a spiritual house. That I need you, and you need me, and we need each other. Alone, we're just stones, but together, we're a building. This place is just a place that we meet in. You are the church. You are the building of God. And, and we, we build upon each other, we build, we, you, you stand on my shoulders, I stand on yours. We, we need each other. You cover for my inadequacies and I cover for yours. And we, we build a spiritual house. This is what Peter says. And all of these things carry with them a responsibility. It's not just, yeah, okay, that's who I am, that's who I am, that's who I am, that's who I am. Verse 9, he, he finishes it all off. He's like, this is who you are. But then he says, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That's why. He says, you're called to walk it out. That word declare, when he says declare the praises, it can also be translated to advertise. In other words, you, you are all of these things, and I don't feel holy. I don't feel like a royal priest. I don't feel, I don't feel, I don't feel. He's like, I'm just telling you who you are, and because of that, you are now to be a walking advertisement of the goodness of God. You, you, you're, you're, you're called to live out of that identity and be a walking advertisement of like, dude, I am a stone. I mean, I'm a crushed, I'm a crushed stone. Like, I'm not even a full stone. I mean, I'm, I got nothing. There's nothing redeemable in here. I, I'm not good enough, smart enough, doggone it, nobody likes me, right? I mean, like, there's nothing in me apart from Jesus Christ who saved me and ransomed me and forgave me and gave me life. There's nothing in me that's redeemable. I'm really not that good. So in what I'm telling you is that you are called to, out of this crazy, ridiculous thing that God says who you are, to live and to walk out as an advertisement of the goodness of God in the land of the living. If he can do it for you, surely he can do it for anyone. <laughs> no offense. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? We're to be walking advertisements. And then he goes on, he says this in verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Now this is where, let me just pause here for a second before we read this. Essentially he's like, so what does this look like? How do we live out walking advertisements for God? It sounds really good. We're like, we're supposed to be walking advertisements. Ah. You know, we're just like, yeah, this sounds great. I'm a walking advertisement for God. What, okay, but what does that even mean? 
What does it even look like? Now, this is where, this is where it gets hard. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, as resident aliens, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. You want to know how to walk out this identity? You want to know how to live as a walking advertisement for God? You want to, you want to stop tripping over Jesus? You want to build yourself and others into the, the family and the building of God? Hey, the first thing he says is abstain from sin. What does that have to do with anything? It's the S word. Sin. It's not a really popular word in church and outside of church because why... None of us really want to admit that we are sinners. We're just mistakers. You know, I see you sin in, in ways that I don't, so that's a sin. But like the things that I struggle with, man, that's just a mistake. Uh, or just maybe a character flaw. Or it's just, you know what, you do you, me do me. You just do your stuff. Who am I to say that what you're doing is wrong? He says abstain from sinful desires. And I want you to see something. I want you to look how Peter communicates this to us. Because I think that if, if, if the current church could grab a hold of the urgency and the fierceness and the life or death urgency that Peter speaks to us about, I think, I think we would find a shift on the inside of us. He says this. Essentially, you need to put up a fight against your sinful desires. Why? Look at the last part, of that, uh, last part of that verse. Because they've already declared war on you. You're like, well, I'm a lover, not a fighter, baby. Right? Like, I don't, why we got to fight? I just want to get along. I just love it. You, just, you need to hug. You just need more hugs, right? You just, like, like, we just need to be nicer. Like, like, he's like, no, 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 no. You need to understand. You need to fight. Why? Why do I have to fight? Because war has already been declared on you. Well, but I don't want to have, it doesn't really matter. Satan comes for three things, to steal, kill, and to destroy. He never plays by the rules, which means he always hits below the belt, and he's not about to change anything. So it's already been declared war on you. Essentially, it's whether you want to fight back or not. Oh, I just kind of kind of let things go, and you know, who am I? You do you, I'll do me, and we, I, I, I don't want to have to abstain from, from the things that I'm, that I'm struggling with. He says very difficultly, like, essentially, life is not simply a game to be played. There's a war waged against your soul. And Satan tries to come in and, and, and to speak over you that you are rejected, you're unworthy, that you're common, that you're in despair, there is no hope. And, and God is like, no, 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 you're chosen, you're royal, you're holy, and you're different. This is who you are. So walk that out. Walk that out. Walk that out. Why don't you stand with me? I haven't read that, that last verse, verse 12. It's essentially like part B of what it looks like to be a walking advertisement for God. The first one, abstain from sin. Okay, um, thank you, Peter. And then in verse 12, I think this is the clincher. I, I love, many people say that this verse 12 is a hinge point and a launching pad for the rest of this letter. What it is that we're going to, well, you think we waded into some, some heavy stuff so far. If you've read 1 Peter, you should read ahead and get ready. Chapter, verse 12, 
live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So in other words, he's like, abstain from sin. The second point is this, live lives that will convince others and glorify God. Live lives that will convince others and glorify God. Peter's saying like, live such good lives in this world that the world literally just cannot help itself but give God glory. Like, live your life in front of people who really don't believe and are really pretty skeptical of this whole Jesus thing, and is this thing a real deal? Live your life in such a way that whether you have to open up a Bible and quote a scripture or not, that they're just like, like, I got to give glory to God because I don't know, there's something different, weird, odd, and special about this person. And I think I want it. And I'm scared of it. That's kind of how I came to Jesus. I think I want it, and I'm terrified. And that's what Peter's saying. Because if you don't realize this, that the world's watching. <laughs> you think Alexa's listening and watching, Google's watching. You're paranoid, paranoid about that? Let me just let you know, the world is critically watching your life. Especially when you say you're a Christian. I mean, you could be like, I'm just an unbeliever, pagan, I don't even care. And people are like, oh, okay, just do your thing, smoke your stuff, do whatever, you know, I don't know, whatever. But as soon as you say, like, I'm a Christian, man, you, you stub your toe and swear, and they're like, oh, is that what Christians say? Oh, you're very Christian, very Christian-like of you, right? Or you get upset and you say something that, quite honestly, you mean, but you maybe because you're in church, you'd be like, I, re I regret it, I didn't mean it. No, you meant it, you know, and, and people are like, oh, that's real Christian of you, huh? You're real Christian, real Christian, real Christian. You, 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 you've seen this, right? Like people all of a sudden, they don't necessarily want to be a Christian, but they know how a Christian should look, act, and talk. And when they don't see that line up, they're very quick to call you out on it. Because people are watching. They're watching your life. And they're, they're not impressed by you coming to church. Let me just tell you this. There's nobody, none of your non-Christian friends are sitting at home impressed that you're here. Nobody's saying, man, can't believe they're spending their Sunday this way. Pretty holy people. You know what they're watching for? They're watching how you respond in crisis. They're watching that, man, I want to see if the cornerstone, the hope that you say you have. I'm really sorry about this. The hope that you say that you have, is it really in Jesus? Is that where it really is? And they're watching and waiting critically. And I don't blame them because I did the same thing. And Peter says, live your lives of good deeds in front of unbelievers so that they might want what you have, essentially. And, and maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online, maybe this is months from now and you're watching a recording and some person gave you this and you're like, hey, you should really listen to this, right? But, but you've been watching somebody follow Jesus and put their faith in him and put their trust in him and build their life upon him and, and you wish you could brush it off. You wish you could ignore it. And yet, you just keep stumbling over 
Jesus. You just can't get away from him. You just keep trying to walk around him and you keep tripping over him. And what I want to say to you today, if this is where you're at right now, is that if you make Jesus your cornerstone, he turns from a stumbling block into the only sure thing that you can count on and build your life upon. The only thing that won't crumble. So if you're at that point where, where I was at, honestly, where I, when I came to Christ, I literally said to somebody, um, I think you're crazy. And if this is true, if I can really have a relationship with, with God the way that uh, you do, seemingly, then I want it. Because I had a youth leader in the Catholic Church that wouldn't shut up about Jesus. He got healed of cancer, loved Jesus, praying with Jesus for hours. I was like, that sounds like a, like a, like a jail sentence. Like, are you kidding me? You enjoyed that? It's like, yeah, absolutely. So, okay, if this is true, I could actually enjoy this thing with, with God, then, then, and I don't have to feel like guilt all the time. I want that. Why would I not want that in my life? And if you're there, wherever you're at right now, if you're at that place, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And I believe that God can and does change lives immediately. Just like he did mine. Just like he did mine. And it doesn't really matter you know, if you're in this room or whatever. I'm, I'm going to ask you to, to simply raise your hand in just a moment and I want to pray, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would draw every person to yourself that you're calling. Lord, I pray that you would chase them down, make yourself real to them, pull them close and draw them close to you. Why? Because they need hope. They need to know the living stone, the cornerstone to build their life upon. So if that's where you're at, I'm going to just ask you, wherever you're at right now, even if you're at home, you're sitting next to your wife or your husband right now, I'm just ask you to just slip your hand up, say, you know what, that's where I'm at. If this is true, then what, I, I got nothing to lose. Got literally nothing to lose here. And I want that in my life. And I'm scared to death. <laughs> That's me. That's me. I want to invite you to pray out loud with me. Um, and I want to invite all of our church people, whether you've been in Christ for years or not, I want to invite you to pray this with me. Just a reminder of what it is that Christ has done in your life. So let me just repeat after me. Father God, I choose to turn away from my sin right now. And I ask for your forgiveness. I thank you that this is only found through Jesus Christ. And I confess today that Jesus is my cornerstone. And I want to build my life upon him. So, Father, I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, that he was crucified, died, and was buried, and you raised him from the dead so that I could have more and better life. And I welcome you, Holy Spirit, right now, Fill me, empower me, embolden me to follow in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
If you pray that prayer maybe for the first time, it brings me back to when I first encountered God. <laughs> I, I just want you to know I'm proud of you. And if, if you pray that, maybe you're online right now, you can go to nlc.today slash Jesus. There's a, there's a, a clip, click, clickable link in the YouTube and Facebook. You can click on that. We'd like to engage with you. And if, if you're in one of our in-person services, I want to meet you right outside these doors out here. We've got a free gift for you. And I'd love to just be able to pray with you. We've got a prayer team that's going to meet you out there as well. But we're going to end with a song today, and I couldn't think of a better fitting song than the song Cornerstone. And, and I wonder if we could just proclaim fresh, new, who Jesus is in our life, that he is the sure, perfect, precious cornerstone, the only thing worth building our life upon, the only thing that isn't crushable. So, Lord Jesus, we lift you up. We worship you. We lift your name. And we say that you are the most important person in our life, that you get to determine who we are. We accept it. We worship you, Lord. Lift your voices with me.